Hello fellow gomologists and greetings from a absolutely sweltering attic studio here in suburban Norway. Today we're off to Northern Ireland to visit a family-run weaving business, talk to Mario, a third-generation weaver, and his ideas of bringing proper linen back, or proper Irish linen, from seed to fabric. Without further ado, let's head off. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today we will be revisiting a topic we've sort of been touching upon before. And that is the fact that Irish linen isn't as Irish or fully Irish as you might think. But today's guest intends to do something about that. Would you like to introduce yourself, Mario? Hello. Thanks for the intro. Um, I'm Mario Sierra, and um, I have a weaving workshop in the Mourne Mountains in Northern Ireland called Mourne Textiles. Um, we're hand, predominantly hand weavers, although we have um, we also have a small small micro-industrial mill as well called Mourne Weavers. You say hand weavers, micro-industrial, you're going to have to tell me more about that. Um, basically, we, 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 it's a family business, so it was sort of set up by my grandmother in the early 50s um, when she, she moved to Northern Ireland from, from Norway, she's Norwegian, um, and I, my mother was involved in it, and then I, I sort of got involved about 12, 13 years ago, um, and have sort of, we've been with my mum, so my mum and I are still very much uh, working together in the, in the business. Um, we, we retrained a, a, a group of hand weavers um, over the years, and, and, and we've just started another mill. So I, I sort of have a thing about looms, really. I, 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 I like using um, predominantly hand looms, but, but also a small industrial looms to, to manufacture different products. So if a loom fits with a the product, then, then use that loom. So we use a variety of looms in the business, some industrial, some hand, it's all different sizes. Um, I noticed your eyes sparkling when you mentioned having a thing for looms, and you're not the first guest to have a thing for looms. Uh, you probably know Daniel Harris. Yes, I do. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, likewise, I think we, uh, yeah, we, we sort of appreciate, especially the the small, the small industrial shuttle looms. We definitely appreciate what they're what they're capable of, and and the the fabrics that they can weave. Um, so yeah, so so I sort of I actually got a scholarship through Quest Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust. Uh, when I, uh, this was, must have been 2016, 2017, which which introduced me to the, in more depth, to the, the Hattersley looms, which are these fantastic sh- shuttle looms that we weave all our scarves on. And that, that was, that was, yeah, it was a f- fantastic opportunity to to bring new looms into the workshop. So we still have all the original looms that, that, uh, that my grandmother imported back in, in the early 50s. And then I've been, much to my mom's uh she's a bit worried about this i just keep finding new looms whether it's on ebay or or wherever <laughs> we have a few we've got a few extra now a few more than actually that we can we can actually put up in the workshop so we've got a few dismantled that we uh we bring in whenever we need to use them the lure of the looms they do have a very hypnotic quality though they they are i mean i i think for me um 
I mean, I was brought up in the workshop, so they're, they're, they're very, I, I was brought up when I, when we moved, I lived in Dublin when I was a child and then we moved back to the Mourns when I was about six or seven. And as the house was being built, we, we actually lived in the workshop. So I had a little bed in the corner of the, in, in next to some of the looms. Um, and then the house that we lived in just had a, which I, which I still live in at the minute when I'm over in Ireland, has a, has a door that just leads straight into the workshop. So, so, so they're, it's pretty much home. Um, so I'm, I'm very, I feel very comfortable in and around the looms. It's sort of like a definitely a happy place. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's slightly an obsession as, as most weavers will say, weaving, weaving becomes, you know, it becomes part of your life. So it's a, it's a good thing. I've often wondered when it comes to Hattersley looms, and I'm sorry to take this little sort of diversion here, but why do they call it hand weaving when it's foot pedaled? Um, oh, I've got a thing about that. I mean, we don't we we don't foot pedal our looms, so we we in Ireland uh, we tend to. I've been told that when the looms are banished from Harris because somebody mightn't have been using their feet, um, they'll be banished and and. And we get them over in Ireland, so we we attach little little motors to the sides of them. Um, I think it's I, to be honest, they're clockwork looms. They're 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 fantastic, but piece of engineering. I, I, yeah, I I don't <laughs> I I don't really go for the hand weaving. I mean, for me, hand weaving is when you're pulling the the, the you know you're pulling the button in and and you're laying the the um you're laying every piece of weft yarn into the cloth and, and that and that way you get different fluctuations in the in the pressure as you're as you're hand weaving so that to me gives you a slightly different feel to the cloth a slightly alive feeling um that you might not get with a with a machine woven piece of cloth um it sort of feels a bit more living however i do i mean i do really love the um machine woven cloth this you know it's weaving it's weaving but um, there's definitely a difference to hand weaving on a on a wooden hand loom as to what they call hand weaving on a Hattersley loom. It's, as far as I'm concerned, that's my 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 perspective. Much much, cl much clearer now, or was it? I don't I, know. Well, I don't know. This is the thing. <laughs> I, yeah. I suppose if, uh, how do you describe hand weaving without visually seeing the loom? It's very difficult. It's very difficult to describe it actually. Um, I mean, yeah. For me, the shuttle looms, the, the Hattersley loom, the, the big attraction for me is the fact that it weaves with a shuttle. So you get a woven selvage. And that that is the same as you would get on a on a hand loom where you're weaving with a with a small shuttle that you're sending across. You, you obviously with a hand loom, you you have a if you use a fly shuttle, you will flick the shuttle back and forth across the weft. Or across sorry, across the warp. And that will create your cloth, you know, as you as you rise and lower the shed. There's a lot of different technical terms here. I'm not sure how. how I'm worried we're losing all our listeners now. Yes, no, I think we so. even get to the main, so. let's, main let's topic. But, uh, let's move off this. Let, let's move on to the real topic of today, which is your crowdfunding effort to bring proper Irish linen back to Ireland. I think that might be fair to say. Um, yes, I mean, there's Irish, there's there is Irish linen being woven in Ireland but it's the, it's the fibers that are used in the in the linen yarns that we're trying to to bring back to Ireland basically um we we sort of with Mala linen who've been you know they've been very much uh working on this for for a number of years before I I've, I've got involved they they've been 
think there I think Helen said she was on her sixth crop now of Irish flax in their farm. Um so so what the, what what they've what Helen's explained to me is that um although they can grow the flax, um and they, they actually have a scutching mill on their farm now, a big scutching turbine, which breaks the husks off the edge of the flax of the of the plant once it's been dried and, and retted. It takes the, it takes the top off them. Takes, yeah, it takes the top off them. Um, there there is nowhere to to process that into a, into a yarn into a linen yarn itself. So so that so there is this sort of gap in this in the production chain, and that that's what we hope to fill. Is is we hope to bring uh, some machines that we've 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 got now, and 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 connect from fiber to to an actual spun linen yarn, but using the fiber from. From Ireland, from from the soil of Ireland, as opposed to from elsewhere in Europe. Now it's interesting how quickly you sort of um, jump from uh, the the plant growing to the spun yarn there, because reading your crowdfunding page and knowing a little bit about it, you you sort of leap very elegantly over any number of oddly named processes there. Yeah, there's Stepping definitely the first. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely uh there's definitely a number of different processes. It's it's not a simple it's not a simple thing. It's sort of um it's almost like they're basically it's almost combing the fibers and I mean I, I'm not an expert in this as well. As this is something that I've been learning through and this is also part of the crowdfunding um crowdfunding campaign is to is to find the experts and, and for them to contact us. Um, and so that we can we can learn from them about these processes because we, we have the machines. I have there's a guy called James who who used to be the fitter at Herdman's and he he knows the machines. He knows the processes very well. He's he's extremely experienced in it. But um but you know there's so many different processes. There's so many different skills and it's and it's these skills that we we want to we want to bring back just as much as the machines. We want to we we don't want to lose these skills. This it's a whole generation. Of um, people who used to use these machines, who are sadly, um, sad, you know, there's sadly fewer of them around today than there used to be. Um, so it's it's really trying to record these skills. So so yes, as you say, there's there's many processes um, starting with the scutching, which happens, you know, after the 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 the, the flax has been grown and, and and retted in the fields, it would then be dried and scutched, which is where you break the husks off the outside of the plant, and then. Then there's a hackling stage um, where the, where it's sort of almost it's the it's the start of the combing where you, you you'll comb the fibers, and then it will go into a, a series of machines and the, and this series of machines are what I have in my warehouse that we hope to renovate and bring back into production so that we can actually get through this process to to from it goes to a sliver and then to a roving and then to a, a spun yarn. At which point we can weaver them. It's only then we can weaver them. Other than that, they're fibers. There's also there's also some exciting opportunities during the the, the processing stage of the fibers. You know, of of removing the fibers and and using them in, in other you know as other means. Um, you know this this yeah, it's really discovering how we can use this plant. This it's it's an incredible plant. So whether um. You know, insulation. I'm, I'm not sure, really. That's that's something we're looking at. Because Mallon, they have been growing flax now. You said six crops or so, but they haven't actually been using it for converting it to yarns. 
know that they've been they've been hand hackling the yarn and and um hand spinners have been spinning the fiber into a thread but but hand spinning it which which takes a long time so so what we would like to do is is make an, a micro a small industrial mill to to basically spin more larger quantities of the yarn so it can be used in, in, in for different products as opposed to if you're hand spinning it's very much a personal project i don't think you'd really hand spin enough yarn for a full length of fabric very easily um so yeah, that, i guess yeah. i guess part of the thing is to make some sort of well close to an industrial level of production because when you when you feel the flax in its raw state it is a long way from uh from the sort of soft fibers you'd use in a shirt say yeah yes i mean the the, the machines that we have are they're all industrial machines we we've just got one of each so we have you know in a, in a in a larger mill there might be like you know a series of these so the first stage the second stage there's a there's a, you know they've all got different names it's a roving machine there's um but there might be a, a number of these machines in the mill of the same type of machine we just have one of so we we, we are definitely it's a micro mill it's a small it's a small production mill and 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 we're not we're not claiming to sort of make enough linen to to supply the whole industry we we just want to show that it can be done and and encourage others to make other which i, I think it's very much in how i've set up our, our weaving mill as as micro mill so it's it's got a small it's a it's a mill with it's a perfect rural industry it's it's got a small footprint um you can have multiples of them so 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 you can actually move them to different parts we wouldn't be the only one there might be other micro mills around ireland or around around the uk that could then that farmers could go to to process their flax that they grow so it's it's sort of trying to show uh the feasibility of this fiber as a as a as a fiber that should be brought back into our back into the farms really and and malin showing that malin have been showing that from a you know from a, an environmental st- level as well that it's you know it's a, it's a fantastic rotation crop for a farmer to have it's just there's nowhere for them to use the crop once they've grown it so so it's a whole industry really that we're trying to are you talking to more farmers about having more base that, material grown i think that's something that mal and linen have been have been they're, they're much more on the farming side of this project so they they've been they have been talking much more with the farming community i mean they i worked on a small project with them with regards to nettles and trying to use nettle fibers which is another exciting fiber that's you know obviously it's everywhere in, in, in ireland so if we can use which is a similar similar sort of plant as nettles and and flax I have seen clothes come to market with at least a mixture of nettle fibers and it does seem to work well. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's just trying to process, I think, I mean, we didn't, we didn't get so far into the project um, to learn. I mean, I think there's Himalayan nettles. It's different types of nettles are, are that, you know, are preferable for, for spinning. I'm not sure. I'm not sure um, how good the, the, the Northern Irish nettles are. <laughs> Uh, but yeah i mean that's you want the delicate to nepalese nettles and not the ones that grow by the roadside in northern ireland no yeah i mean they grow everywhere so so yeah it would be fantastic if we could somehow use them but yeah the, i think the nepalese the, the nepalese nettles or the Himalayan nettles are the ones 
but uh mm. i mean it's a beautiful fiber the ones i was using we hadn't we we wove with them and it was incredible fiber to weave with really soft really stunning actually very fibrous though it left um fluff all over the workshop um as we were weaving but uh that was very good now you mentioned that you have someone who knows the machines and you have machines how long is it since uh, since these machines were in use? When did the sort of linen processing or flax processing industry die off in Ireland? I, I think James, uh, he he was at the last one of the last mills, Herdman's Mill, um, up in up in the north north coast or northwest. Um, I think it was the late eighties was the last time um, there was Irish linen spun in Ireland. Um, Herdens then, I think they went to South Africa and there was some spinning down South Africa on these machines. But, but um, no, I mean, a lot of these machines, they were sold off. They're, you know, Mac, they're, 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 um, you know, they're very Irish, uh, you know, they're very traditional Irish brands. There's Mackey's, there's, there's a variety of mach- brands that these machines are, oh, sorry, there's a, they're very specific um, Irish machines like Mackey's was, I think it's, I think they were based off in Belfast or they're based in Northern Ireland, but they, they got sold off to a Chinese company. Um, so, so the machines aren't even made in Ireland anymore. Whereas before, you know, they were very synonymous with, with Northern Ireland. Um, so, so, I mean, there's so much part of Irish Northern Irish heritage that it would be fantastic to bring them back. Um, but yeah, so hasn't, I don't think there's been any Irish linen spun in Ireland since the late eighties answer to question which is kind of oddly recent isn't it so it must have been that it wasn't the demand for linen necessarily that meant they shut down but rather that they wanted to send it offshore to make it cheaper i i think th- th- james from james's description i think that just the price per kilo got to a point that it was it wasn't possible to financially make it in ireland anymore it was sort of it dropped because we were they were competing with chinese linen at that time and it was just, they just couldn't compete. So, so they, you know, people stopped buying it. I mean, it was, it's sad. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's just it's business, I suppose. But what we would like, you know, what we'd like to do is just bring, bring that back, even on a small level. So inquiring uh, financial minds are now thinking, what's changed now? Hmm. Um, well, I think, I think the, I think maybe the, um, yeah, what has changed? <laughs> I think probably the environmental side of things is is also what's driving us is just to look at other opportunities with less less travel. If you know, if we can use a fiber that's grown on our, in in on the same island, and there's less there's less expense in traveling. This, I think there's you know there's there seems to be a um, it's definitely a, a a movement in and minds towards what we're doing where it's it's very it feels very relevant to today's um to the buyer you know to the people who would be actually be buying the cloth the you know it's, it's made made local is very much a big thing over there well everywhere actually you know so hopefully you know we will be making local from a fiber that was grown local um and and you know and local employment so there's a lot of things maybe from a business point of view um if you were to go into hard volume business it maybe doesn't make sense but from a we feel like it's important to do it i mean i for me it's actually the it's a big part of it for me is the knowledge 
and and not losing that knowledge. I mean, I you know I've had this through in the hand weaving side of things. You know, whenever I got back involved with with hand weaving, I mean, luckily my mom's very much involved, and she you know she's been weaving hand weaving for fifty odd years. So so it's it's there were no hand weavers out there that we could just employ. It wasn't like you put an ad in the paper saying, okay, can we please get a production hand weaver to come? Um, we had to train them from scratch, and I think it's this knowledge. For me, it's the knowledge as much as the as the final product, and keeping that knowledge alive, and and you know, and that knowledge is something that you know. I think at one point I, I read over well, just under fifty percent of the Northern Irish workforce was was employed in the in the linen industry, which is which is crazy to think about that one now. I mean, yeah, okay, there's there's a lot of people weaving with linen still, but that whole spinning side of it is it's gone. So, but they still exist. These, these, a lot of these people still, still are around today. So it's just, you know, trying to connect, connect the dots. That's what I seem to do with, with modern textiles, trying to connect some of the knowledge with the new generation. Seems to be a returning topic on the podcast. The sort of um, knowledge that is being lost, the trades that are just not being refreshed because they're just not sexy enough or interesting enough for young people to get into. I guess that's one side. The other side might be that there just isn't an industry any longer to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's it. I think maybe, maybe they're hard. There's a different um, value to, there's different benefits from, from maybe from very hands-on work. Um, that you might not realize, you know, that's, it's, it's a very rewarding thing to do. Um, but maybe financially it's not as rewarding as, as, you know, in the digital era that we're in, there's, there's a lot more money to be made maybe in doing and following that sort of that route of employment. Um, and, and, you know, they're just, it's not as widely known. Um, there's not as many places to learn the skills that maybe there were, there's not as many apprenticeships. I mean, you would learn a lot of this would have been learned through apprenticeships, um, you know, from a very young age, and they just don't exist anymore. So, so this is it. We're, we're trying to become apprentices to, to some of these people who used the machines prior to, you know, from the nineteen eighties, and the and a lot of these skills have, I, I I imagine have have emigrated from Ireland as well. So, we're hoping that our that that social media and, and the digital age will actually help to bring some of these skills back. You know that we can get the word out quite far, um, and you know speak to people. I mean, if you do your Instagram campaign right um, and sort of aim it at Shoreditch, uh, say you will find lots of bearded craft ale enthusiasts who can, <laughs> are now looking for the next big thing. Yeah, they they may not they may not enjoy the the tranquility of the morns there. I think that's that's the other thing. There's it's you've got to enjoy working outside of a big city. I mean, it's it's there. It needs a lot of space. This is definitely you need the space to to work in these on these machines. It's uh, it takes a very specific type of person to want to do this, but um, but no, the skills. I mean, the, yeah. These these are these are these are skills that should be valued. I think that, I think maybe the industry was very quick to upgrade um, and move on. Whereas, you know, I'd I, I like looking back at some of the equipment that was used um, back in the day and, and, and seeing what, what you can make with it that's relevant for today. I mean, there are there's so many things you can make with these looms that fit. 
I just love looking at all this old equipment when it's running because there's just so much innovative thought in it and sort of mechanical gizmo ways of doing things. It's just completely fascinating. No, I mean, and you, you know, you talk about um, East London. I, I remember we did a, you know, we've taken the loom out on the road quite a lot, the hand looms. They're quite easy to pack down and put in the back of a van. So we've traveled all over the place with our hand looms. But one of the, one of the shows we did was in, in just off Brick Lane in, in East London. And I just remember, yeah, there's a lot of people under the loom looking at those mechanisms, just absolutely intrigued. Like, you know, they've never seen a loom before, but just looking at the bits of string that are attached to the pedals that, you know, that pull the shafts up and down. And, and, it, and it just, yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing piece of engineering. And you, you need, as a weaver, you need to understand that engineering to know how to fix it. I mean, it's, you spend a lot of time under the loom as much as you do weaving. Hopefully. Also, also the way it's it's a mixture of cast iron, steel, leather, wood, string, as you said. <laughs> it sort of all it just works. Yeah, no, they, I mean, to make such a delicate cloth, sometimes you, you're weaving a really delicate tweed and, and you look at the machines that you're weaving it on and you sort of, I, I often wonder, it's quite an aggressive machine when it's weaving with a motor attached to it. It's hammering away through this, you know, throwing the shuttle back and forth and it's, and but out the other end comes this really lightweight, beautiful cloth. <laughs> Always uh, sometimes surprises me. Yeah. You should uh, make little videos of, of this, you know. We've tried, yeah, I, 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 I do sometimes, I mean, Normally it's me weaving, so if it's it's quite I always looking at looking half looking at the camera and then half looking just in case something's about to happen that I need to jump in there and stop the loom. But yeah, no, I've, we've made a few videos, but yeah, it's quite it's a, an aggressive sound as well. I don't know if you've heard if you've been next to one as they're weaving, they're definitely I, I have, loud. yeah, they're very loud. Getting back to the crowdfunding, yes. so you've got you've got this guy James. And he's got a storage unit full of machines, uh, is it? Uh, it's actually I've got I've got the storage unit full of machines. James is currently um, he works as a welder now. Sadly, he's he's not involved in the textile industry at the moment. Although he is absolutely passionate about linen spinning, um, so he he helped me install the machines into the into the unit. We leveled them up. We got them all set. Um, but then you know we just we just didn't have I just didn't have the funds to really take it to the next level, which is, you know, there's a few parts to, there's a few parts still to um, fix, to be engineered, to complete the machines. And then, and then just the time cleaning them up and, and attaching small motors to the sides of them. So James is very much on, on hand. He, you know, he's very confident he can get them all going. I mean, with the spinner, he actually has, I think, two or three sisters who used to use them as well. So, so hopefully they they will come and and teach us actually how to spin on the spinning machines. So, so we we've you know we've built a, there's a small team that we're built and it's building it's building actually as as even even through this crowdfunder there's a few people I've not um I've not met them yet I'm going to meet them hopefully next week but they you know people with experience who will come and and talk to us about the machines, um and yeah it's literally it's it's going to be working. We're actually starting with the spinner. I'm going to work backwards um, and try and get that going with some some fibers that we've already have prepared, just to show that it's possible to spin a yarn. And then, and you know, it really depends how much money we can raise to how far down the then the the chain we can go. Each machine requires, you know, a separate amount of work. So, 
um hopefully hopefully we'll be successful enough to work quite far down the line we, we you know we'll, we'll do as much as we can do with what we can raise and um and then hopefully go maybe you know maybe um yeah we'll, we'll see who we can approach to help i mean we definitely need help but i, th- I think it's really worth it's really worth the effort and i, I think um you know, having Ulster University involved as well has been been invaluable. You know, they they in which way are they helping you? Um, through sort of through a, a feasibility study, they're sort of really helping to to show that it, it's it's you know it's as a as a feasible as a feasible business really. Um, to try and you know approaching potential um people to store the machines as well. I mean, at the minute they're in my warehouse, but they don't, they're maybe not necessarily going to stay there. Hopefully we'll find a home for them, which can be open to the public. You know, we would would like to open it up once we get them going so that people can actually see and experience what it is to, to process flax into a, into a linen yarn. I think it's, I think it's important that we, it's so much a part of our heritage. It's important that people can still see it happening. It's almost like a working museum. I keep sort of coming back to the fact that it's so recent history, yet so completely vanished. It's it's incredible. It's incredible when you you know, yeah, it is. It's 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 insane, really, how quickly we've we've sort of discarded that whole side of of um of production. I mean, it's we've just seemed to have moved on, and how rapidly the skills can vanish as well. I mean, they've been to learn. To learn how to use these machines takes years of, you know, and, and the experience is really, you, you learn, it's very steep learning curve, but you know, it's, it's the tail end of the learning curve where, where it even it sort of levels out, but those, that little, those, those things that you learn on that tail end, that's, that's the expert. That's where you become the expert. You know, you, 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 you really, you really get to understand the machines and, and, you know, I've worked with um, weavers and I, you know, I've, who I've learned from hand weavers and, and it's you know, where they say, Oh, put your finger here. When you're, when you're adjusting this, if you put your finger here, then, then, you know, and I would, you know, that's not written down anywhere. I'm like, okay, so if I put my finger here, then I lift that, then it works. Okay. I never would have no, known that unless you told me that it would have taken me years to learn that. And that, that's the thing that for me, that's the, that's the gold in this whole project is, is the learning from these skilled cross people. Um, you know, and, and that's what I get out of it. It's this human, there are machines, there are looms that I love, but it's the people who use them that are, that's the value. Yeah. As I say, that's the gold. So the call has gone out, the band's getting back together. I mean, how many people are needed to operate the, the mill? To, to operate, I think, I mean, to be honest, to, to operate it once it's up and running, um, two or three could operate. It's a small, it'd be, it's a small, um, micro mills so two or three people could operate together um um you know just to to work on it i mean you know the more hands the better i suppose in a sense um skilled hands especially (laughs) um at the minute we are so helen charlie and i are sort of and and james are sort of involved along with um alison and anna from Ulster university um and so, so yeah i mean together we can we can can definitely move the project along quite quite well but it's it's really just getting it's just finding people finding people at this point is 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 asking you know getting people to come out the woodwork really 
and and hopefully inspiring people to come and come and learn as well that's the other thing is is actually finding people who would want to come and be apprentices at some point um, when we're when we're ready for apprentices um to to learn the skill again and to keep the machines going and then they'll hopefully become the experts which will then have their own apprentices it's 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 you know we don't this isn't just a a short-term project this is a pro this is the start of a much longer project and you know and a project for other people to learn from these machines so you know i, I mentioned right in the beginning the uh the idea that you know we, we don't want to be the only micro mill we just want to be one of one of a, you know a number of them so hopefully people will see what we can do with with ours and be encouraged to maybe do the same and um and if there's enough of us then We'll have enough enough facilities to to process the flax. So it's it's sort of a you know it's a group effort. It's a group effort, definitely. Um, and you know, learned a lot from. I don't know if you've spoken to um, Helen or Charlie at all, but they they're absolute experts in there on the farming aspect of what they're doing. It's 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 incredible. No, I've not spoken to them, but I think Aoife Long uh, mentioned them when I spoke to her. Yeah. She knew them well. I do love the whole idea of localised micro-production. I mean, we're all talking about sustainability all the time and uh, how we can possibly continue to buy so much crap and yeah. still be sustainable, yada, yada. But actually bringing production closer to where we are small scale i'd like to add high quality but that kind of goes without saying at least more meaningful products that mean more to us and i mean that to me is where we have sustainability wins to be made and i noticed uh, i think it's fiber shed in sweden where they are bringing back the full processing of wool in sweden which hasn't been for ages so they've been sending all their wool off to, I think it's Italy to be scoured and then around wow. to be spun and then back to Sweden to be sort of finish the processing, which of course is, is nuts. But now they're setting up micro scouring facilities so that they can actually complete the process there, which is the same principle, really. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's just going back. Yeah, the, the sort of the micro locally produced um products i mean i was just thinking there as you were talking you know it's it's like a lot of our our blankets for example if if you you know if you snag a blanket this used to be that you would mend your blanket you would you know you'd, you'd mend it you wouldn't just throw it away and get a new one you'd actually fix it but you know people will contact us because they know that we've made the blanket and they'll say oh uh, you know we have so many dogs for some reason love chewing our cushions <laughs> we've got a cushion <laughs> called the flaggy dog cushion and, and it just gets We've had so many of those guilty photos where the dog's standing there like next to a cushion looking very guilty and, and the cushion's been eaten. But then, you know, the, the people who bought bought the cushion will ask us, do you have any of the wool that we can fix this? And we, you know, we, we know that we've got the wool that we made the cushion with. So this is, it, it's this connection with the, the start of the product's life. I mean, I think that's really important as a buyer as well to know where your products come from and know you know who's made it i mean i can literally i could tell you the names of the people who've made most of the products you know it's there's not that many hands we're a small business there's like i think maybe eight or nine of us in the business so there's not that many hands well that's enough obviously but we all tend to touch in some at some point along the production process 
we will tend to get involved with the product but um it's a uh, yeah it's i mean it's i think it's i think it's so important to have this to have this locally small small locally manufactured items it's just it just makes it makes so much sense especially in rural industries where you know it's it's employment as well it's a it's an opportunity for people somewhere for people to work and now you can sell much further afield so although you can make locally you you know it's it's really lovely that that we can sell we can open up our our market so that we can actually you know it works as a business whereas i think if we were just selling to our local community it'd be quite difficult to survive so um so i don't know yeah i guess that's the thing where you could sell locally but you can sell also to japan and say the states also at a higher price i guess yeah yeah well i suppose this is it it's it's not made local to them but um i think it's i think it's the micro the micro industry the the small footprint um business i mean our, our workshop is just at the foot of the morns it's in a very it's done it's on a little back road um it works because you know it's it's a small footprint business we don't have like massive trucks coming every day it's it's it just works it's you know we get a postman we get delivery vans here and there um i mean we, we have a warehouse for the more maybe where we would we, we would do the larger orders would go from a warehouse but that's set up to be to 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 be a warehouse it's sort of it's got the infrastructure there for a larger larger truck but um the workshop itself with all the hand looms i mean i think we've got the minute we've got six or seven there we can just do everything from site um we have to send the product off to be finished but but yeah i think i was i was there during lockdown first lockdown and and um you know, we I was making we were making away, making things. My mum and I, weaving away together, um, and we could do that. It was, it was actually we did we wove quite a lot together. All of us, my family as well, <laughs> they got involved. Um, yeah, I think I, I mean, yeah, it's a good thing. Editorial comment here: Mario is looking very wistful and quite happy when he's recounting. Uh, <laughs> family gathered around the looms during lockdown <laughs> it was it was one of those it was one of those occasions i think we did a uh, i think we did a, a scarf run a charity scarf run and like uh, i was showing somebody the other day actually there were some photos online that i hadn't i forgot that were there where my daughters were there helping to to make up the scarves and we were sending them out and and it sort of escalated it was my you know my my mom and my um father and or stepdad was there he was he was weaving actually he was weaving the scarves my wife was there taking the photos so it was a full family affair um and when we launched we expected to you know we've been talking about it a little bit on social and we, we expected to maybe i expected okay maybe 30 40 scarves and like i think within the first hour we'd sold like 50 something scarves and so then we realized okay so we we ended up we we had a cap on it of 200 but I mean, it, it was it was great. I mean, it was fantastic. It was you know it earned a lot of money for a, for hospice. So it was it was a lovely thing to do. I mean, it was sort of a, a you know it's good for my something for my distract for my parents, a good distraction for them, but for everything else going on in the world. But it was you know we uh, it was definitely very much a family affair in a very small micro you know weaving workshop. It's good, worked well. 
You mentioned your uh, your grandmother, your Norwegian grandmother. I see in the in the crowdfunding it says that she was a innovative textile designer. She was, yes. She she. I mean, she she. Well, mo- nearly all of our designs that we produce today are her designs. They're they're. Um, you know, we don't have, obviously we don't hide that. That's we're celebrating her designs. She she left Norway when she was nineteen, I think set up a, a weaving workshop in the north of Spain, um, ended up working in in Wales in the UK after that in her 20s. Um, she married a Scotsman and uh, moved to Asia where they where she had um, three children and then had my mom back in, in, in Northern Ireland when she returned. She, she didn't return. She'd never returned to Norway actually after the age of 18, 19. So she she was she was an incredible designer. Really, she 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 designed um, her whole life. She was she was designing um, beautiful designs. And then if you know, we actually we don't have the designs prior to Ireland because she gave them away. So um, we've only got really from the nineteen late forties to nineteen fifties those designs. But she she would design for for Hilly and Robin Day um, for a number of years for like just over ten years. Um, she did a bit for Conran when they just left college. She, Sybil Connolly, uh, an Irish fashion designer, she she designed some tweeds for two of her collections. So, she we have this incredible archive as well as this her workshop. It's, it's her workshop. She set the workshop up, so it's her design of a workshop. I've just been very fortunate to to you know to, to have ownership of it right now, and and to add to it. Hopefully, and we've been adding to it. But it's her. They're all the machines. We we joke that they were. They came. Some of them came actually from from Trondheim, which she was, she was from Trondheim. There was a Swedish loom designer from Trondheim, and uh, we still we've got one of his looms and our warping mill. We still use we still use that same warping mill that was that my mum j- jokes it's the first IKEA sort of flat packed came down the came down the came down the, uh, the local flat pack, and it's still used every day. I mean, it's used. We use it for all our or handwoven warps. Um, so yeah, so she, yeah, she was, our whole family's really, I, although I was born and bred in Ireland, I, I don't have any Irish blood in me, per se. It's all from all over the place. We settled. Do, do you have a next generation ready to take over your legacy? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to say they're ready to take it over, um, but they're, they're definitely, I mean, they've, they've grown up with a workshop just like I have. They've been going there. I've got two daughters, um, 20 and 18, and one has, the youngest is just leaving to go to art college. So, um, she's just finishing her A-levels at the minute. Um, whether or not they take, take it on, that's, that's over to them. But like, like me, I think I, I sort of study textiles and then did a number of other things wanted to travel around the world a bit before i came back so hopefully maybe maybe <laughs> they, they've 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 not they've definitely not ruled it out but um but they're you know it's early days definitely early days i recall they're talking to david ince of uh, ince umbrellas uh, was it last year and he's the sixth generation making umbrellas in london and wow. i was thinking what it must be like to feel the pressure of generations before you expecting you to continue the family business it's yeah no it is actually you're right you're obviously right there was it was a pressure to not let it die on my watch sort of thing not let the workshop 
you know, become dismantled during my time. There definitely was a pressure there, but there was also, um, I mean, I used to, well, even while I wasn't working in the textile industry, I would come back to the workshop. That's where we stayed. So we stayed in a little house connected to the workshop and just the smell of the looms, the everything about the workshop made me want to return to the workshop. It was always, it was always the thing I would return. I would return, We'd, you know, I'd give it a go. And I think my mom, <clears throat> sorry, my mom, um, uh, when I got back, she, she, she was discussing dismantling a few more of the looms and taking over one of the, one of the, the loom rooms or the, yeah, one of the rooms with the looms in it. And at that point I thought, right, okay, I, I need to get involved now. Otherwise the, you know, we'll never get that room back. So I said, oh, can I have a go? Can I, my kids are old enough that I could travel back and forth. I live, I live between London and, and the Mourns. So, so yeah, there was definitely pressure, but at the same time, um, when I got involved, I did think, right, okay, let's see how long I stick this and, and see how, how long the enthusiasm lasts and, and whether it's, it is the thing to do. And when I, I just couldn't do anything else, it's definitely, it's what I should be doing. Um, so yeah, it's, a, there's, there's this enormous amount of reward from it. And, you know, it's, it's nice to work within the family as a business. They always say family businesses are a nightmare because you, you don't ever really want to sell it. So you have to live through the ups and the downs within the business. Um, so, you know, and that's what we do. Um, and it definitely fluctuates. <laughs> And I guess it has to be a viable business as well. Yeah, exactly. It has to be a viable business. So you do try and find new opportunities through, you know, like I, I, I am looking at the business now as I've got it and and and, and what I can add to it um, and, and also what people want from it. I mean, people, you know, we, we have clients, we, we generally, most of our clients are in the homeware industry. So we, we, as a business, we would trade with uh, interior designers and architects, um, as well as as well as people for their, you know, just normal people for their home. They they'd buy, you know, for themselves. So we we have a variety of different and shops. We also trade with wholesale shops. So we're just trying to find opportunities that that mean that we can keep all the looms going, and you know, we we make woolen products. So there's certain times of the year when we're much busier, like summer isn't doesn't tend to generally be a very busy time for us um however certain products are you know all year round like our rugs all year round so, so certain products will will prop the business up when other products are maybe that like scarves we sell less of we've just opened a small shop at the workshop which is which actually i'm finding is, a, is an incredible way of selling scarves which wouldn't be selling online so people will come and they'll buy they'll want a, a gift so they'll buy a scarf to take home with them so we're we're yeah and people actually find your remote location. They find us. Uh, I should really be advertising it a lot better. And 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 I mean, we we don't. There, it's we're quite hard to find. We shouldn't be. That's my that's my error. Um, we we didn't used to publicize, or I didn't used to publicize where we were when we were. Most of our manufacturing was going on at the workshop because you know people would want to see the looms, and then everything would stop. So I'd be like, you know, I'd be looking at. You know, thinking about the orders that needed to go out, and just you know, you obviously you talk to people as you're walking around. You're not going to ignore them, so everyone would stop weaving to talk and explain what we're doing. So I, at one point, I was not encouraging um, visitors, but that's sort of changed now since since lockdown. A lot of production will go on at, at, at 
another mill that we have um, in Warren Point, um, the more mechanized mill. And but I, you know, I really want people to see the hand weaving that we do, and the, and the hand looms, so they can come and see that, and and also just you know get a chance to see all of our products in the shop. So it's it's a nice way. When people visit, do they come from locally or really far away? I just recall when I spoke to Ruth Delaney, uh, who's a shoemaker in uh, Wales, and she she just had three women from Texas drop by to visit her specifically a couple of weeks before, and it was just mind blowing. Someone would travel that far. Yeah, I mean, we do. Get, we get, we get we. Northern Ireland isn't really known for its tourists. Um, the South of Ireland, you, in the Republic of Ireland, you get a lot more tourists than the West Coast and Cork and, you know, in Galway and places like that. But Northern Ireland, we, we because we, we had the troubles, we didn't get so many visitors, sadly. So so we, we've we never really had a huge amount of tourists coming to, to find us. But we do nowadays, we are getting more more. More will venture across the border, um, and and you know people will contact us because they've seen us online and and they've and they're in Ireland and they want to come and come and see us. They just want to say, oh, have you got a shop? Yeah, we do. Okay, and so we've had visitors from all over, from South Africa, from Japan, from Australia, from America, Canada. I mean, a lot of the yeah, we get a lot of people coming home to visit family as well, from Americans and Canadians, and they'll, they'll come back. I want to bring back something that's made locally. So we had I had somebody just recently from from a town in Canada and he, he you know he he actually we've got a small primary school next to the workshop and he said oh I went to the primary school I remember your grandmother um, wow. you know, over the wall you know and it's like oh wow you know so there's this it's we're you know we've been there for so long we're definitely part of that location you know that we used to always have primary school kids would come and um Usually, when they were doing a Viking project, they'd come and see the looms. So they'd come over the wall, and and you know, they would show them around the weaving, and they'd see how weaving was done. And then they'd uh, and they go back to their school, and obviously at that point they'd have learned that I was called Mario. And and for the next couple of months, I just hear Mario. <laughs> they'd see me, they'd see me over the wall, and they'd be shouting my name. But but they'd yeah. So um, yeah, we do get visitors from all over the world. It's, What's it's, it about Vikings and looms? I don't. It's just traditional. It's I don't know. Maybe maybe they had looms in the in the. Maybe that was part of the curriculum. They'd they'd have to do looms. I I, I would like to. I mean, I've brought. I've done some small weaving workshops in primary schools. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, showing showing children how to how to weave, and they get and they you know they seeing seeing the way the fabrics are are meshed together. Um. So yeah, hopefully it'd be nice to do some more workshops. Maybe bring some looms over to them. I guess it's a great way to just illustrate to kids or show them how how these things are actually made, and it's such a visible and tactile way of doing it. I know here in Norway they they've been having these sort of little hand uh, weave things ever since I was a kid. I mean, the results they make aren't necessarily of a very high standard, but you can sort of you learn the process of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a very it's a it's sort of as it's very easy to understand it when you see it in slow motion. It's sort of when you see and you can understand the the, the you know the lifting of the the warp and and how you can you know push weft whatever whatever the yarn is. You can use any any sorts of yarn when you're weaving. So, yes, yeah, I mean, it's a very visual. 
it's, it's very difficult to describe on on a podcast as you <laughs> but it's a very visual it's much easier when i'm showing people it's very easy to, to describe how it's made how things how things work the way patterns appear during weaving is something i have been wondering about for so long and i just can't get my head around it but i think as you say yes because it's all happening so fast but if you could actually see the way the different warps are lifting up and down and i mean i, I think for for the designs so my grandmother her i mean you mentioned patterns there her our designs are much more it's it's about the combination of the textures so that's something that's that's like a more textiles sort of if there was a more textiles sort of look it would be very much about the different yarns different textured yarns different different types of fibers and how they are combined in a, in a lot of our weaves are plain weaves so the simplest form of weaving it's um you know this it's not that we're not jacquard weavers we're not you know we don't use too many twills there's not many twills or, or herring bones in our weaves it's, it's very much a plain weave but with with I, f I find them very they're sort of alive like we i remember one of the first designs my mom and i brought back into production was um it was a sybil coddley design and it used this incredibly textured yarn that that we we were having trouble finding so we we had to luckily as alongside the archives in the workshop we've also got a lot of little bobbins of yarn that was used so we've got the original yarns the original designs that you know we've got all of the elements that make up the fabric and and every now and then we've got swatches of the fabric so we went to um amazing uh yarn spinner in the west coast donegal yarns and we brought this little a length of yarn i have to have at least a meter said look please can you make this yarn for us and it was it was sort of a, almost like a badly spun yarn it's like huge lumps nips and burrs that we would be added into it and they and they did they made a fantastic yarn that that's we still use that today that's that's one of our custom spun yarns that that we will use and it and it gives almost like an organic feel to the design it's sort of a, which i loved along with the organic with the hand weaving you'd also get this sort of almost you wouldn't have any control in the look because it was just where those lumps were within the within the yarn that's how it would affect the look of the of the actual fabric so so yeah so our, our yeah our, our designs are very very simple in the in the structure of the cloth but we hopefully slightly more complex in the use of the textures and the yarns and i think that was all down to my grandmother and, and her and the way she designed she sort of she, I remember reading once in, in one of the features, one of her newspaper articles, where she described she would, you know, sit at the cloth, sit at the loom, and 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 it was only when, and the fabric sort of, she felt the fabric was alive that she would step away from it, and, and it's that. So she would be tweaking and and adjusting the different, you know, picks per inch, the ends per inch, the, you know, the technical aspect of the design, and then and the, and the fibers. And then she felt the fabric was alive, and that's when she'd walk off. So that's that design's finished. It sounds Lovely. very like creating music, where uh, a musician, a talented musician, experienced, Absolute. will be sort of setting everything up. But then you add that dash of randomness in that lumpy yarn, and it sort of makes it into something unique. I, th I think. I mean, you, you're, you're absolutely right. I think music. Um, I think music and weaving probably have a lot in common. Um, I mean, she was, she was a musician. She was, she was a concert pianist. She, 
you know, she, there were two things. She, she was either going to be a concert pianist as a career or a weaver. And she ended up, <clears throat> I think she became a weaver. I think she had something with her hands. She, you know, she, it wasn't, it wasn't an option, but, um, but yes, I, I, I feel like her, her, her designs are incredibly musical. There's, there's sort of, they, they, there is a musicality to them. Um, and to the rhythm, there's definitely a rhythm in a cloth. I mean, I definitely feel that there is a rhythm in a, in a piece of cloth, especially, you know, with, between the textures and the colors. I mean, I mean, we haven't, sadly, we haven't managed to, to go too much in depth into her color. I mean, she was a colorist. A lot of her designs were just most incredible use of color, but you can't, and it's, it's a cost thing that's really stopped us doing this is that you, there aren't these, there are, there, there isn't this huge range of yarns that she had for her designs. I can't just go and find that yarn anymore. So we'd have to have a custom spun, which means we'd have to spin at least minimum sort of 80 to hundred kilos. And that's a lot of yarn if you only use one thread and, you know, one end every now and then. So, so yeah, so between the textures and the colors, there's this incredible combination of, well, texture to the cloth. So when people come traveling from far away to visit you, what is it that draws them in? Is it the lumpy yarns, the authenticity, um, the designs, the softness? I don't, know. I don't know what draws them in. I think, um, I think, I think we're, we're, we don't really hide anything about what we do. So they, they, they sort of already, if they know about us and they've seen us on, on Instagram or wherever, then, then they, they'll have a good understanding of how how we work and and, the, and their techniques and I suppose it's, there's some honesty in, in how we make stuff not you know and just in the workshop itself it's very it's very transparent um, and maybe it's maybe it's I'm not sure I, I actually I couldn't answer I've never asked them that I should ask maybe it's just they um they feel that they know us a bit it's quite personal um, already. And they've they've been a personal connection. I mean, we get comments, and and I mean, often I I'll be behind the Instagram, so I'll be they'll they'll sort of know who they're talking to in a sense. They'll you know they'll know it's me. So it's... the answer that you don't know is the best answer of all, because if you knew, you might be tempted to double down on that aspect, and then kind of lose the. Yeah, I th I mean, I, I think for us. And it's probably not a very good business side of things, but I just, we just do what we, we really want to make the fabrics. We really want to make these designs. We really want to keep the designs alive. So we, we're weaving and hoping that people will buy what we're weaving as opposed to weaving. I mean, obviously we, we do think about what we're weaving and whether it's going to be sellable and, and you know, we have to think if it's going to be able to sell, but, but a lot of times we weave what we want to weave. And we weave the we weave our designs. I mean, they're, they're, the designs. I've grown up with these designs. These are designs like they're they're everywhere in my house. And and I, that's another side of it that I love is that you live with the cloth. You know, we live with it. And you know, I've got I've got fabrics that she wove when she was in China, in the thirties, and they're still on my they're still my curtains. They're they're you know every day I'm pulling them. They're getting a bit shredded, but you know they're. And I, and I love that. I love that she's lived on through her fabrics you know her it's still her creation it's her creativity um so you know it's for me it's just keeping these designs alive keeping these fabrics 
so that they're made so people can enjoy them. I was mentioning the meaningfulness of pro products earlier, but maybe we also need to add durable to that. I mean, if these curtains are coming up to 100 years old. Yeah, I mean, they are. If you, yeah, they, they, they last. They definitely last. I mean, we've got blankets. I've got, I mean, I've got my, my cousin um, recently lent, lent me her blanket, her, her, and she's, I think it was her christening blanket that she had as a baby. And, and, you know, so that we can, we can try and bring that design back is, is every now and then you find, you see, I see something, I said, Oh, I haven't got that in the archive. So I'd like to, to look at that in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's almost well, be over, over 50 years now. Um, it is the, these are, these are heirlooms. They, they things that get passed down. They're things that sit in the, in the drawer as long as you keep moths away from them. If, if you've got moths in your area or if you, don't boil wash them if you look after them when you wash them um you don't don't put them in a washing machine on spin cycle because it'll come out half like a third of the size um yeah as long as you look after them you, and you can mend them that's the other thing it's like like you would darn used to be that you darn socks you know you'd mend your socks you wouldn't just throw them out and get a new pair so with a blanket you can darn your blanket there's my daughter started to darn lots of jumpers and things and and you actually add to it you can add little you can use a different yarn or you can use, you know, we can find the same yarn that the blanket was made with. So, so yeah, there's definitely, it's important to try and mend something. If it's, you know, it's only a little hole, you can fix it. It adds to the life of the blanket. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I still have blankets from when I was a Cub Scout um, or beaver, you know, I've still got the blankets with my, <laughs> with my little, um, whatever, my little achievements sewn onto them still still very much part of my life well, there is a very sort of zeitgeisty thing at the moment now about repairing and also visibly mending so that you're not only repairing it but you're showing everyone that you have repaired it is that something you sort of think about when you're making your products that these are going to be you hope someone's going to be using them and cherishing them for a long time absolutely no definitely i mean this is yeah i mean i don't I would, um, we'd always encourage people to mend them if they, I mean, definitely if people contacted us and said, oh, I've got a, you know, I've got this and they showed us the hole, we would, you know, we'd, I'd find the yarn and send them a little, some little hanks of the yarn that they could use to then mend that, that hole. I mean, that's something, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's, it's actually quite easy to, the, our weaves are quite easy to, to, to darn just because of the way that the the structure of the cloth is it's not it's not very fine finely woven so you know you can you can mend it mend the hole and it's as good i mean it's as good as new if not better i i like i like um i think in japan they have a technique for in ceramics where when i've got a plate and it's got a lovely gold where they've mended the the break in the plate I, i'm not sure what it's yeah. called but it's you know it becomes part of the part of the blanket or cushion or whatever it is it's quite strange to hear you being so supportive of bending because I was talking to uh, Rosanna oh, who repairs outdoor wear recently and she was complaining about how hard it is to get the original makers of outdoor wear to actually send her spare parts, I mean, in the form of cloth, etc. Okay. By giving the impression that really they didn't want the stuff repaired because that stopped people coming back to buy new stuff. I mean, if you were answering the phone and someone said, my dog's chewed my blanket and you say, well, sorry, mate, but that's, uh, 
Yeah, I can send you sell you a new one though. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I think I think it's um, you know, it's definitely definitely a good thing to fix them. I, I think, um, you know, we all grow attached to there's well, we all have certain items that we grow quite attached to over the years, and and they, you know, and there is a psychological. I'm not sure. I mean, I I, I think I've I've read about it before, and it's sort of you you. It it adds value. Your psychological relationship with certain products adds value to those products, and they become very much you know it's a part of your part of your life. So I think definitely you want to hold on to them if you can. Don't want to sort of bury them. Um, and and there are so you know they're, they're you know yes yeah, some of some of our blankets, especially because of the yarn prices, have become quite expensive. Um, you know we don't we don't they're quite heavy blankets. We definitely we don't hold back on our on the on the fibers that we put into them we, we use as high quality as we can you know to make in a, as long as they're feasible to be sold the other end um so yeah we want people to be able to have them for a long long time and actually i'd be very proud if somebody said they had one of our blankets and it was still going strong 50 years i'd be really proud that i'd made a blanket that lasted that long and, and was still valued and their children i mean i get a lot of actually i have a lot of people saying that they've been given curtains that my grandmother had made or that their parents had passed down to them or rugs or blank or blankets even that and that that's sort of that's lovely because it goes to the next generation and then they they really value it because they were brought up with it um you know they 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 have that relationship with that product with that i guess that's that's your family legacy isn't it yeah it's it's a yeah it's sort of quite rewarding um and so that, I suppose that's what that was when I first got involved in the workshop. That's that was part of my my thing was, you know, these archives had been locked away and 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 they were hidden, um, and the fabrics weren't being made anymore. And I sort of did feel like I I didn't want, you know, I realized that the value of all of my grandmother's designs, and I sort of felt like you know, as much as anything, it was just really um, letting people know that that they existed and, and and who she was and the relationship that she had with with you know many designers from that period from the mid-century period so hopefully that hopefully yeah people know her name a bit more now which is nice it makes me feel good do you encourage people to send in their their stories and photos of yeah, yeah definitely yeah, no, I mean, my mom, um, we were working one of our designs at Morn Tweed um, that we launched, I think it was last year. We'd been working on for for a little while, my mom and I. And she sent me, she was really excited one day, and she sent me a photo. And she goes, this this um, lady's just turned up with with one of the blankets that we, one of the designs that we we're trying to make. It's incredible. It's like a, a full-size blanket. We've, you know, we don't we don't have any. Some of the blankets, just, they go, they were sold, and we've never seen them again. So, so I, you know, we got her number and when I came back, she came back in and, and, and it was incredible to be able to talk to her and she was, she must've been in her late seventies. She's, you know, just lived, lived not far from us, um, in the workshop. So she came in with her blanket and we laid it out on the table and I was able to photograph it and, and actually look at the way that it was made. And I could see things from that blanket that I didn't know before about the way my grandmother approached making a blanket. You know, and, and and the use of her yarns. So, so yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've, I'm always asking people. I mean, I've found stuff 
on eBay. I found something on eBay that my mom had woven, weirdly. <laughs> um, this is years ago. I haven't looked. I don't often, often look on eBay. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if people have anything, it's I, I really want to see it. I mean, there's every now and then you see something that that we don't have in the archives. So there's a piece of design that I, you know, it's really valuable for me. It's incredibly refreshing to hear from someone making stuff who is actually interested in stuff they made before and isn't sort of mentally finished with it the moment it's headed out the door. No, I mean, and and again, like I keep going back to the archives, but what I realized as we've been going through the archives is that a lot of her, a lot of my grandmother's designs, she revisited, um, with new yarns. So she, she, there was one particular design, um, that she wove in the, in the thirties and then it came back again in the sixties and, and became a blanket, um, in for hotels and, and Hilly actually sold it as a blanket. So, so it's so yeah so we will revisit designs we'll bring out the original as it was as it was always made intended but then we might if there's new yarns we can maybe um bring in new yarns slightly change the design not not the structure so much but just the the, the yarns that we use and it'll it'll change the cloth maybe make it a lighter cloth or yeah just different use different uses so um yeah, um, yeah, always revisiting the old. It's it's nice to have to go back to this route, which is the archives, and then you know bring bring back new things. Are you sort of working up the confidence to try your own designs? Yeah, I mean we have we've got a few few that we have brought in, um, but to be honest, I, I'm sort of there's so many from the archives that I sort of feel like I want to try and get more of those out so that there's a full full collection of them. You know we've. We've only been, well, it's 12 years, seems like a long time, but it's not that long. <laughs> um, and when she had, I don't know how long her career was, but um, yes, we, yeah, well, definitely we are bringing new designs in as well. And, and you know, working in collaborations, that's another thing that I love doing is working, collaborating with other, other designers who then come in and they bring their, their sort of, their, their eye to it and their, their sort of, they bring a bit of them into the workshop. So there was, you know, obviously my grandmother collaborated with a lot of designers. And I think back in the in mid-century, it's nice for us to do it today. It sort of adds, it just brings us into relevant to today's design world, really. Any specific ones you'd like to mention? Um, well, I mean, we've, we've, over the years, we've, I mean, there's a few that I've been talking to recently, but we're not quite there yet. But there's, um, I mean, we we worked with Carl Hansen um, with Pinch, the Pincher. You know, we did a um, worked with them a few years back. Um, well, we got back involved. Uh, 2021 have been actually very good at helping us to reconnecting us with with Robin Day Foundation. Actually, we've done some fantastic fabrics with them. Um, we did one. Um, I think it was last year, or the year before. Where we actually it was it was lovely. We it was for their it was an anniversary edition of uh, a Robin Day reclining chair. So we worked with between um, twenty twenty one Robin Day and ourselves, and we brought a fabric back called Clockmore fabric. Um, and it was literally it, it was it was it was such a great project actually. It was, 
this this is a piece of, like a swatch of fabric that I found in the archives, and on the swatch there was a little handwritten note from my grandmother saying so you know the design had been approved by Hilly, um, but that it wasn't able to it, you know she'd finished the whole design process it had been approved for production but didn't actually go into production because the cost of yarn had gone up too high to make it a viable fabric. So, so, so this was a, a lost design that never actually made it into production. So we were able to take that and then actually bring it into production. This was in 1973 was the date on the note. So then, you know, two years ago, we brought it back into production. We worked through it on the, on the hand loom. We, we did a lot of sampling on the hand loom in the hand weaving workshop. And we agreed on a colorway and then we brought it over to our more sort of industrial mill, which, you know, it's a small industrial mill as, as always, it's a micro mill, but, um, and we, we manufactured this fabric and then, um, it was used on to, to upholster these, uh, anniversary edition reclining chairs. So it's a lovely, really lovely project. Um, just felt, felt like we'd continued part of a journey that had, had sort of got held up in the seventies. So it was, it was a nice, so yeah, so these sort of the, the projects like this, we just love, love them, you know, bring in a loom. We've done a lot of work with um, Margaret Howell as well. She's, they've been, they've been incredibly supportive to us right from the start. There's a, they've got a, some beautiful stores all over the, well over the world actually. So we brought back a couple of a few designs with them. Um, which have been shipped, yeah, so over to Japan and, and into their, you know, into London and Paris. We've had a loom in two of their stores. We had a loom in Paris during Paris Design Week and a big exhibition in London where we had a, which was beautiful. I don't know if you've been, beautiful store in Wigmore Street. So we, we set up, we set up the loom there for about three or four days. It was, could have stayed quite a while. <laughs> it's a great place to weave. But uh, so, yeah, so it's just, you know, connecting with new, people today and now it's linen that's the well now yeah so now thing. it's now it's sort of um i've always had this this um i've always loved there's we're not we're not a vertical mill so to be a vertical mill we would spin our own yarn weave or weave finish you know spin dye weave finish you know we do everything ourselves um we, we're not a vertical mill sadly we're, we're weavers um, we, we would have to buy the yarn in and we'd have to then finish our cloth. Usually we'd have to send it to Scotland or somewhere to be finished and then it would come back and then it'd be ready to sell. Um, so I've always had this thing about being a, you know, being a vertical mill. So, so yeah, it'd be incredible if we could spin our own linen, that would be, that would be a lovely feeling to then weave that linen into, a, into a product of some sort, whatever that might be. Um, and. Yeah, so that's this project. Another side of this project, which actually is less about the spinning, is more some of the looms. This, I've always had this thing about selvage denim. I'm wanting to weave an Irish selvage denim, and that's so. What that's that's actually the whole reason I found these machines was searching out these looms, these these small industrial shuttle looms, but but linen shuttle looms, very so that they're different than the Hattersley ones. They'll weave a, a more a solid cloth, a finer cloth. Um, and so I found, yeah, I found one of these denim looms, um, and it's an Atherton loom. Um, and I feel we're really getting to the core of the, the, yes. the project now. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's that's sort of where it started. That's that that was the beginning for me was these looms, and then I found the spinning 
machines that went alongside the looms and met Helen and, and you know, so we slightly got distracted, but not. I mean, they're both they're both running in parallel. So the, the, obviously the weaving is where I've got the experience um, and as a mill and the spinning is something that's, I just, I, I see the, I, I can totally appreciate the value in, in that and that, that it has to happen. And, and, I, and it's connecting the people with the, with the product. I'm, I'm not a spinner, but I really want to connect spinners with, with new apprentices and help to get this whole process started. Um, and hopefully pass it on, you know, it's something other people can continue. So I'm thinking you must be also a denim enthusiast then. Uh, I'm, I'm a, from the production side, I'm a salvage enthusiast. I'm a salvage. Um, yes. I mean, obviously I appreciate the salvage denim, but I'm, I'm, I've still, you know, I'm a tweed, I'm a, we weave tweeds and furnishing fabrics. I'm, we have yet to weave denim. But it's, it's been weed and denim, very compatible from a sort of gomology point of view, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're right. I mean, it's this is it. I think um, it's the real stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. No, you're right. And and I've always been fascinated by it. I've obviously got a lot of friends who are denim heads. They're they're just obsessed with denim, and you know they they they've spoken to me on a great length about denim. Um, but no, I've I have a lot to learn on on making it, but. It's the looms that I've been fascinated by. Obviously, as soon as I got involved with the Harrisley, I, I naively thought oh, I can weave denim, and then realised shortly, it's very soon after that, you can't weave it on a Harrisley loom. But um, but no, so so that's 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 another side of this project that we've we've not really spoken about enough, probably because it's an Irish denim. When I've when I've mentioned it to 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 many people who visited the workshop, have been very excited. I mean, it would, that would be a fantastic thing. An Irish salvage denim. I think it would. Uh, I think a lot of people would be interested. But that would be a cotton denim, not a linen denim. Yeah, yeah no. I, yes, it would be a cotton denim. So it wouldn't be using so much the linen yarn. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure about a linen denim. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking how interesting it would be because you do have Hewitt in uh, in England, who are sort of making the English denim. Uh, you yeah. must listen to his episode. It is an incredible tale of not giving up, even though when you should have. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he's, I mean he's he's there today. Yeah, no, he's been he's been in touch. Yeah, no, he's he's yeah, he's he's definitely he's doing it. He's yeah. doing it, and um, oh, he's got some lovely looms. <laughs> I've seen his looms; they look great. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, are those uh, the modern looms? Yeah, they're a little bit more modern. There, I think there's. Yeah. Oh, I forgot what they're called now. They begin with S. I can't remember now, but they're yeah, definitely more modern. But but so um, with shuttle still, obviously. So so yeah, it's, it's it's about for me. It's about finding a a loom that makes something specific. I mean, all our looms make different products. All they're all slightly. Um, you know, we've got we've got a rug loom that's about three. I think it's three point seven meters wide weaving width. So it's a big beast of a loom but you know it's it's perfect for rugs it would be terrible for weaving scarves or blankets yeah. well not actually you could probably weave a blanket on it but it's it's a rug loom and we've got looms for scarves we've got looms for tweeds we've got looms for furnishing fabrics um you know they're all different so it'd be lovely to have a loom that was for denim that we could weave a really lovely denim with and and you know i'm always learning always love learning so it's a guy up in Belfast who's making jeans now. So uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and down in Dublin, there's a few there's a few people making jeans actually over there. So, I mean, I did, I've heard of I've not you know I've, obviously this the Wode 
uh, die if, if there was any way of dying at using a, a woad, an Irish woad, that would be... Tender, do that. Yeah. William Kroll, he dyes yeah. uh, his genes with woad. I should, yeah. I, well, that, that would be, a, that would be an, an added bonus. That would be a fantastic thing. Yeah. But, um, it's all about sort of adding the locality, all the special features that are unique to where it's being done. Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, that's it. And the skills, I mean, that, you know, I'm hoping that I, I will, um, someone will contact me who used to use these looms. <laughs> as yet, as yet, we've had more about the spinning machines, less, less about, less from the weavers. Um, actually, I, I say that one of, one of my weavers used to use them, but, you know, this is a while back. Um, but and he he used to weave on them all the time actually. So so yes, he 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 didn't weave on the Atherton, I don't think, but um I need just more 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 um more skills to come my way um to help teach me so I can be an apprentice again to them. Um I'm sure the underground movement will spread the word and uh, they'll be popping up and it's definitely they are definitely home. The more I, the more people I speak to, the more they say, "Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my friend or um, relation." So yeah, fingers crossed. So between between the spinning and the weaving, we'll we'll get these get these machines up and running, and bring the skills back. That's the. So with the crowdfunding, what's the timeline like, and how much are you hoping to bring in? Well, the timeline is. Um, I think it finishes at the end of June, so it's not long. It's a it's only a four week crowdfunder, um, so it is is quite limited. Um, sadly, the timeline. I think the urgency to save these skills is the bit that I, I don't know if I've quite got that across as well as I should have um, in in you know in in the crowdfunder in the text is is that you know I. In, in many ways, I feel like this is the last opportunity or one of the last opportunities we'll get to still learn from from the people who've got the skills, um, who used to use the machines. Because I mean, even, even since I've been involved um, in the last couple of years, you know, t- two of the two of the guys I've been talking to about the skills have sadly passed away. So they and and they were hugely knowledgeable about these machines. I mean, the, the it's yeah i mean they were excited about the project and and but had so much um so much they could have given to teaching people how to use these machines so they've so it's it's really trying to capture this knowledge i mean that that's that so there you know there's a timeline of four weeks till the end of the actual funding raising the funds but but there is a you know it's not a long timeline as far as and the project itself, we really need to, to, to find people and record their skills as soon as we can. Um, actually doing the machines up, they'll, they'll take a little while to do. So once, once we get started, depending on how much we raise, I mean, each of the machines will take, you know, at least 10, 20,000, um, some, some less than others, you know, by the time we've sort of, um, I think there's five machines, six machines, and then the space itself. So it's, the project is as big as the funding, really, if you know what I mean. So if we can only go so far as we can afford, um, the more we can raise, the more the, the, the bigger we can make this. And that's the thing. It's sort of it's quite an exciting opportunity, and it's just a matter of how how much we all get involved. It's 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 very much a, it's. I mean, I can't fund it. Um, we we just can't fund it ourselves. It's, it can't be self funded. So. 
we've got got a passion for it and i think actually a lot of people have a passion for it the more you know we've had some incredibly generous um uh pledges to the to the campaign and you know we've had so so much so many people have been sharing it i mean this is so so valuable all of this is valuable sharing pledging whatever it's just really talking about it and and just encouraging others to 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 realize how important it is um but yeah so we're, we're taking it bit by bit so the first piece of funding will be for the loom and then it'll be for the spinner the the spinning machine and then it'll be for the roving frame then it'll work its way down um and then you know if we can get enough for the machines then we'll we'll start looking at the space and making that that making that better and then and and then the next is actually employing sort of taking on some apprentices and and teaching on the machines so it's 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 quite an organic project that can grow i was just thinking about the old guys you mentioned who'd been so enthusiastic about what you were doing I wonder if it's the fact that at some point 30 years ago, they were told that their skills were obsolete, no longer required, go home. But then suddenly, wow, we need you. That well, must be I mean, quite, quite an incredible feeling. Yeah, I think I don't think the passion, I mean, they must have, like any anybody, you know, you work with your hands, you, you work on something, you become very passionate about what you're doing. So I don't, I, I, I know... That passion wouldn't die. I mean, that, that sort of almost obsession, as some might say, um, like James. I mean, he is—he's like he—he he loves linen. I mean, he—he he literally, like, I remember when I did my A levels, my A level art. I did you know project about the workshop and about weaving, and it was all like you know I've still got a little book, and he had his project about linen, and like his dad was in, he worked in the mills for in in herdman's for i don't know how many years like 30 40 years he worked that you know james worked there his sisters worked there so for him it's yeah it's all that knowledge is still there um and he you know he's he's he does really want to bring bring the bring the machines back i mean he, he was working as a welder at the minute an incredible welder by the sounds of it he does some really top top quality welding but i think he would love to to sort of see some flax being processed and some linen being spun i think it'd be personal yeah, being a good welder is a remarkable skill as well i know that That's... as i'm a crack welder oh really <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah no i'm not a welder in any way but i would uh, yeah no he's he definitely he's he's on the higher end of the, the welding but um mm. so yeah so we'll just if we can bring back the skills and keep them alive that would be just just that just 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 to record some of those skills would be success. But to be honest, it'd be great if we can put them into practice. That would be even better. Yeah. I sincerely hope you succeed. It's a superb project. I mean, what I said right at the end is actually quite important is, is the, um, it's, it's the urgency behind the project is for me, it's, it's, it's a really urgent project to, to, to make yeah. happen. It's not one to sort of sit by and go, oh, that'll be fine. Oh, it'll be great. Somebody will do that one day. It's like, we're literally, we're doing it now. We've, we've made this effort to, to put it out there. The support already, in the, like even just in, in the comments and, the, and the, the support out there for the project is insane. It's, it's so, so um, refreshing and, and like, yeah, it makes me happy to, to hear that. But it's so many people have said to, said to us since we've launched, it's like, brilliant finally that's you know so many people have been sort of waiting for it 
So it's just a matter of really getting enough people involved to help. I mean, it's even a small pledge would be something. It's like if you have enough people with a you know fiver, <laughs> then you can actually make it happen. It's just a, you know it's just actually making it happen. We've got the effort, we've got the energy to 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 then drive it through afterwards, but we just don't have the finances. So I think that for us is the really important is just funding it. That's why we're doing this. And that kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? Is there anything you'd like to add in closing? Anything? No, I, I think I think probably from your, you've done a lot of these, so you'll know how they'll, if there was anything that I've missed. Um, personally, I feel like I've just really rambled on, which is really, I've enjoyed it a lot, actually, um, obviously. Um, no, I think hopefully I've not rambled on too much, so it's incomprehensible. <laughs> um, Thanks for being here today. Thanks for telling us all about your project. I hope you succeed. It uh, sounds absolutely fascinating. And um, bye bye for now. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me to talk about the project. This um, yeah, great opportunity, and um, we yeah we hope we can make this happen. I think it's uh, we'll see. We'll see. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.